This is Sunday night worship service here at the Pine Level Pentecostal News Church with our senior pastor, Reverend Farrell Hardison, bringing the message tonight, part 16 of What We Believe. Here's Pastor Farrell. I was thinking uh, on the way here tonight, when you're studying topics like we're studying from this book, um, if you lose focus on why we're doing it, uh, it can be hard to to listen to it and to get it. So let me just tell you, let me just remind you why we're doing this study. Why we're doing this particular topic we're on tonight, it does us good to remember what God delivered us from. It does us good to remember. We forget what we were. We forget where we were. And we forget what actually all God did when he saved our soul. We forget about it. We, we begin to take it for granted. So as I go through this material, and I'm not going to hold you long. Uh, you say, I know you all say you've heard that before, but I promise I'm not. Um, I want you to just, every time I bring out a point like that, to yourself, under your breath, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me from that. Because tonight, the fall of Adam means that we are two things We're at the bottom of page 107. If you've got your book, we're at the bottom of page 107. We are depraved and deprived. Before you're saved, and even after you're saved, if you don't let the Holy Spirit really run your life, your your depravity, being depraved, and we'll talk about what that means in just a minute, but depraved... Uh, will take over. That depravity will take over. And then and then we'll find out later that we're uh, not only depraved, but we're deprived. There are things that, that we can't have access to because we're unsaved. That the moment we get saved, then there are things we have access to spiritually that we didn't have access to. See, before you're saved, you're cut off from God spiritually. Now, you're not cut off from God in the sense that God can't intervene in your life anytime he wants to, make himself known to you any way he wants to, but you're cut off from him in the sense of relationship, relationship with him. Let's, let's look down at the bottom of page 107. Let me just read a few notes here. It says, the net result of the fall in Eden is that the human race is totally depraved. Every child except Christ born since Cain possesses a corrupt nature that is inherently sinful. We know that. We know we're born with the sin curse. Uh, I've preached it a bunch of times since I've been here. We're not bent toward good when we're born. We're bent toward evil. Uh, Hosea said it. We're bent toward evil. He said those very words uh, to describe our nature, our human nature. Paul talked about it. I've quoted this many times. Paul says, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. See, Paul knew about this battle. And if Paul knew about this battle, how many of y'all think we might know about that battle too? Absolutely. Uh, Other than Jesus Christ and uh, some others I can think of in the Bible, he was probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. Um, Look at Isaiah 53. And verse 6, right before that verse, uh, he notes here, this propensity towards sin seeks first to gratify yourself. Yourself. Look at it. Isaiah 53 and 6. And how many of us? How many? 
all, all. Now, when the Bible says all, what it really means is all, yes. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. Don't ever say, not me, not me. I'm sorry, you're in that verse. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father hath laid on the Son the iniquity of us all. Glory to God. Say thank you, Jesus, right there. When Jesus hung on that cross, he bore my sins, and I wasn't even born yet. Somebody said on his left hand on the cross, he bore the sins of everyone present and in the past, and on his right hand, he bore the sins of everyone to be, to come. You know, we've got, uh, if the Lord tarries, uh, I didn't know my grandson was coming. Matter of fact, we'd pretty much give up on it. And all of a sudden, I got a grandson. I didn't know about him. I, I didn't think it was going to happen. But the Lord already knew about him. And, and his death on the cross was for little Liam, too. And, and you've got babies in your families. And we got babies to come. And he's died for every one of them. Isn't that something that... That uh, they're not even here yet, but when they're born, we can tell them how Jesus died for them. Uh, so the adjective total, often attached to depravity, total depravity, refers to the scope. How, how, um, how much does this depravity cover the scope of the human nature affected by sin? And it's, it's all of it. It's deep. It's a deep thing in us. Thus, there is no part of the human being capable of producing righteousness on his own. Nobody can produce the righteousness you need to go to heaven. Now, you can live right, and the Lord will lead you to do things. He'll lead you, Psalm 23, into paths of righteousness. He will lead you to do righteous things, but even in obedience to his own leading that you do those righteous things, they do not add to your salvation. You're saved only because of Jesus. Listen, you had nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. Here's why you're saved. You heard the gospel, you understood the gospel, you believed the gospel, and you received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. That's why you're going to heaven. That's the only reason you're going. You say, well, what about all of the good things I do? Well done, good and faithful. Well done, good. Well done. And we are awarded on the last day according to what we did with our opportunities and our gifts. We receive rewards for that. You say, well, that's, that's hard to believe that somebody gets saved and never do nothing nice for anybody and still end up in heaven. Well, what about the thief on the cross? He didn't do any good works. He got saved hanging on the cross. What did he do that got him into heaven? The Bible says he believed and received the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, today I'll see you in paradise. So it's not our works. Uh, I put this on Facebook. I think I've already mentioned it. Holiness don't lead you to Jesus. But Jesus will lead you to holiness. Do you see what I'm saying there? Uh you, your good works don't get you closer to Jesus, but Jesus will get you closer to doing good works. 
uh, doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. That's a very, very important statement right there because you can't take, see, you can't take any credit for your salvation because if you do, then you become part Savior and Jesus is part Savior. Jesus is all Savior and you're just lost and need a Savior. That's where your role comes in. He says at the very bottom, however, humanity remains the product of the divine creator. The image of God, and who's that? That's us. The image of God, man, humans. The image of God, this is us, although tarnished and torn within the human composition is nevertheless capable of restoration. Are you glad you're capable to be restored? That, that even though we are lost and born lost, look what the words he uses there, torn and tarnished, that we, are, we have the ability, God made us so that he can redeem us. He made us so that he can restore us. Thank God. Look at that next scripture, Romans 5 and 20. Uh, it says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might, be abound, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, the grace of God. And what is that word grace? There are two or three meanings for different words for grace. This is one of the reasons uh, it helps to know the Greek a little bit. Uh, I got to tell y'all, I got to confess, I, I failed that course in Bible college. It's the only course I failed. But I'd never had a, a, a foreign language class in my life. And I could not. But there are so many books available to now. You don't even have to be a Greek scholar. But that word grace, there's two or three meanings for that word. In this case, the word grace means unmerited, undeserved love. So where sin abounded, the undeserved love of God did much more abound. Hallelujah. Thank God. Because I was sinful, and the grace of God much more abounded and dealt with my sin. Uh, let's go on there uh, at the top of page 108. The greatest consequence of the fall was the entrance of death. The greatest consequence of the fall was the entrance of death into the human equation. The mysterious nature of death remains best understood in terms of separation. So, so our sin, uh, we are spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. That's the, that's the worst kind of death is when you're spiritually dead. Now, we've wept and cried uh, in our church recently because of funerals and people we've lost. And uh, we think that's the worst kind of death, but it isn't. The worst kind of death is to be spiritually dead. And notice what he says there, best uh, uh, understood in the term, uh, uh, with the term separation. Spiritually dead means you're separated from God by sin. You're not saved. You haven't been born again into the family. The Bible mentions three specific types of death. Number one, physical death. We all know about that one. That, we all know about that one with the funeral Friday and all of that. That is the uh, separation of the soul and spirit from the body. And that's, uh, you see the scripture references there. And we can't do all these scriptures. But number two, spiritual death. And that is the separation of a person from a relationship with God. That's the one we were just talking about. But the, ooh, then the, the one that seals the deal is eternal death. Eternal death. And that is the separation forever from 
the person of God from God, separation of the person from God. And that's eternal death. And if you leave this world unsaved, that's eternal death. Uh, they tell us in some Bible, uh, some church systems and, and theologies that there's a, there's a purgatory. There's not a purgatory. There's not a purgatory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or to be absent from the body if you're a sinner is to be present in hell. And I know we don't hear much preaching about that. The Lord's been dealing with me about maybe doing a series on that topic just because the world won't talk about it. Uh, I feel like we need to talk about what the world won't talk about. Amen? And uh, <clears throat> eternal death is death in hell. And then there are scriptures there, and I would encourage you to look those up. Let's go right here. Prior to Adam's initial disobedience, the Lord had plainly warned him not to partake of a specific tree. We've kind of gone through this, so I'm not going to make many comments here. Saying, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die spiritually and eventually physically. But what the Lord was talking about there primarily is spiritually because, see, they were right with God. And they sinned, and then they weren't right with God, and they were separated from Him, so they died spiritually. That's what the Lord's talking about here. The first man did indeed eat of the forbidden fruit, yet he did not die physically at that time. On the contrary, Adam died spiritually at that very moment which caused him to experience immediate separation from God. This alienation became evident with his expulsion from the Garden of Eden and the ceasing of previous fellowship. And we talked about this last week. Since that time, all the people had been born spiritually dead. Because of the sin of Adam, it passed to all of us. If people die physically while they are uh, dead spiritually, then they will die eternally. Not only are all of the human family depraved, as I said, but they're deprived. So listen to this. There's something missing in the offspring that Adam experienced. So we're the offspring of Adam. So here's what we're missing when we're born. Here's what we're deprived of. Communion. Not communion like with the cup and the bread. It's about time for us to do that again too. Uh, communion means communion with the Lord, fellowship with the Lord. Next word, fellowship. Communion, fellowship is not there. Intimacy with God himself is not there. It has to be established through the second birth, being born again, being saved. The inference of the uh, Eden narrative is that God and man walk together in paradise as a regular pattern. Remember we talked about that? The Bible says they walk with him in the cool of the day and, and talk to him and he talked to them. That's before the sin. And uh, he goes on here. Evidently the two, Adam and Eve, met on a consistent basis, or the two, man and God, met on a consistent basis to converse with one another. However, one day, one of the parties did not show up. The Creator came as always. See, Adam and Eve and, and God would meet every day and talk and fellowship and commune. But one day, Adam and Eve didn't show up. And, of course, the Lord knew what happened, but, but, the, but He handled it this way. Listen to this. But the Creator remained in height. The creature let me start at the bottom of page 
108 again. The creator came as always, but the creature, that's us, we're creatures, <laughs> remained in hiding. Adam and Eve didn't show up for their meeting. Rebellion and shame. What is God to do with man when man has abandoned him? What's God to do? One of the greatest portraits in all of Scripture provides the answer in Genesis 3, 9, and it's right there in your book. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? God said, Where are you, Adam? Theologians often point to the subsequent text in Genesis 3, 15 as the first promise of a coming Redeemer. However, readers must not miss the music of mercy. In the language of verse 9, this is important, don't miss this. Liberal theologians, we're not liberal. Amen? Amen, all right. So y'all know which one we are. Liberal theologians and skeptics, agnostics, and atheists frequently attempt to discredit Scripture by proposing that some uh, great dichotomy exists between the God of the Old Testament, wrath, and the God of the New Testament, love. I've heard preachers preach it like that. That's why I always tell you all the Old Testament's just like the New Testament. The Old Testament's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, uh, but, but what he's wanting you to get here and what uh, the writer of the book, uh, Brother Trammell's wanting me to get here, is that this is really just God the Father and man because he wants you to see uh, that God was a God of mercy before Jesus died on the cross. That God was a God of love and mercy and opportunity before. He, he just doesn't want us. And, and I've heard preachers preach it. Preachers I love and think a lot of. I've heard them preach it like that. I may have preached it like that myself a, a few times because I had so much confidence in them. But what Brother Trammell is wanting us to get hold of here is that God was a God of mercy apart from the cross. He, was, he wanted to save Adam and Eve right then. He just wanted them to come to him and repent and, and, and trust him and, and get back in fellowship with him. Uh, let's see where I'm at here. Uh, by proposing a dichotomy. Okay. On the contrary, do you see where I'm at by the middle of the page there? On the contrary, the record is clear from this early epoch that the Lord God took the initiative to seek out his fallen creation. In other words, they didn't come crying out to him. He came looking for them. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Although punishment is coming to the man, the woman, the serpent, and Satan, it's right there in the Bible that punishment's coming to them, the tone of God's initial question to Adam in verse 9 suggests that God is not looking for Adam to destroy him. Hallelujah. Woo. But rather to redeem him and bring him back into the fellowship with him. That's why God said, where are you? God didn't say, where are you, so he can find them and kill them. And condemn them. He wanted to find them and redeem them. I believe that's why it's in the Bible. So we'll see that mercy of God. That love of God. He goes on. This is the story of the Bible from cover to cover. 
The farther humanity runs away from God, the more passionately he, God, extends his plea for their return. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. The first couple immediately began, the first couple, Adam and Eve, became immediately aware of their blatant disobedience as evidence of their perceived nakedness. They attempted to cover themselves with fig leaves. However, when the Lord confronted the guilty pair, he evidently slew the first ram and made garments of skins for them as a covering for them both. Ain't God good. Their efforts, like all subsequent attempts by their posterity to save themselves, appeared to be futile. You can't save yourself Adam and Eve couldn't save themselves. That's what that picture of them making fig leaves, they were trying to cover themselves and cover their, and the Lord said, oh, no, no, no. You, you can't cover yourself. I'll cover your sins. Only God can cover our sins. That'll preach right there. Wish we had a preacher here somewhere, don't y'all? They attempted to cover themselves, and he goes, uh, garments of skin. Their efforts, like all subsequent, I've already read this, but let's do it again. Attempts by the prosperity to save themselves appeared to be futile. Here we go. The Lord's act on their behalf seemingly constituted prevenient grace as God gave them a lifetime to return to him. And isn't that what we say? Isn't that what we preach to people? You, the door's open. Don't, how often do I say we're, we're, in the, we're in the time when the ark is open, the door of the ark is open? And that's what he's saying here. And then down at the bottom of 109, and, and then we'll cover the other, uh, little bit on the other page where we'll be done. The same voice that searched and called for Adam in the garden comes and calls for his wayward Descendants in every generation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Luke 19 and 10. Pop that one up there for me, Jenny. For the Son of Man has come for what reason? To seek and to save <laughs> that which is lost. Man, somebody ask you, whoa, whoa. What was the Lord's business? What's he do? Take them to that verse right there. Now, this is about Jesus. Jesus has come not to condemn, not to, not to ridicule, not to um, make fun of in any way, but the Lord has come to them not to embarrass us, but to seek us like God the Father sought Adam and Eve. And once he sought us and we have been found by him, then he wants to save us. He wants to save us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thus, humanity carries a twofold need. Now, this is us. We're humanity. First, to have our depravity lifted. And second, to experience their deprivation field and other things in other words the things we've been deprived of God has provided this salvation through his dear son until union with the creator reaches restoration the human heart will remain restless and void 
And then he gets back to the purpose of his book, and that is to show how evangelicals, which are all the other churches in town here in Pine Level, and Pentecostals, I don't know, I don't know about the African American church down there if they're um, Pentecostal or not, but um, uh, we're we're the Pentecostal church in town, and uh, evangelicals, where again we fellowship with them because they believe in Jesus and receiving Jesus as your personal Savior. So we are their brothers and sisters. But look at this last paragraph: evangelicals and Pentecostals place a great emphasis on salvation simply because Scripture does. Uh, duh, simply, because, simply because scripture does and their savior did to know the exceeding sinfulness of the sins of humanity is to have an even greater appreciation of such a great salvation and that's in Hebrews 2 and 3 look what it says how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. It's a great salvation. Now when the Lord put, when the Bible, Holy Spirit, God, puts a word in there like great, you need to really think about that word. He, he, he wants you to know there's no other salvation like it. There's no other salvation that can do for you what his salvation can do for you. We got rescue squads and rescue units, and, and that's what saved means. If I'm out in the middle of the lake and my boat gets a hole in it, and uh, I'm, I'm out there and I'm going down, I, I want somebody to come rescue me. Uh, but that's all they can do. They're, they're great rescuers, and, and they'll come out there and save you. But this is great salvation. This is eternal salvation. This is a salvation that washes your sins away and, and reestablishes a bond between you and your Creator that was lost in the Garden of Eden. It's great salvation. Great salvation. Thank God for that great salvation. I'm glad I'm saved. Brother Jerry, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm saved. I'm saved, brother. I'm saved. I could lose my life on the way home tonight. But I'm saved, Brother Larry. I'm saved. And this family wept when Brother Norman left. But not nearly would it have been had he not known the Lord. Had he not known the Lord, but he did know the Lord. Praise God for so great salvation. Are you glad you're saved? Glad you're saved. Boy, if anything comes along to threaten that in your life, don't you let it in. Don't you let it in. Uh, if you found a rattlesnake in the yard, you wouldn't go out there and uh, and let him live and bring people and say, come here, let me show you my rattlesnake. One day that rattlesnake is going to bite you. He's going to get you. So get rid of Flee youthful lust, the Bible says. You know what that means? And it, it probably does have something to do with young people, but it means, because I, I was wild as a buck. I mean, y'all, I got saved when I was seven years old, and I was addicted to lifesavers and all kind of stuff. The Lord saved me. I told somebody I was trying to beef up my, my testimony a little bit. But, uh, you know, that nature come up, comes up in you as a child, but... And, and when it talks about fleeing youthful lust, of course we have 
we have uh, when it's lust, we always think of sexual things, but there are a lot of things you can lust after. But what he's talking about there, I think when he says flee youthful lust, is flee childish things that you were attracted to before you got saved. Uh, if you were attracted to some things before you got saved and you got saved and you've quit doing it and maybe something happens and there it is again in front of you and you're kind of tempted a little bit, the Bible says run from it. I heard a black preacher one time preaching on Joseph. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis? And Joseph, remember, Potiphar hired him. And uh, Joseph was a, a good-looking young man. And um, Potiphar's wife, uh, uh, when, when Potiphar went off, she come on to him and, and tempted him and, and teased him and tried to get him to commit sin with her. And the Bible says, I love what the Bible says, the Bible says he got him out. That's exactly what the Old Testament says. It says he got him out. The old black preacher said he fought that battle with his hat. He grabbed it and run. Amen. Amen. Because you know what? Joseph was a young man. He was had testosterone probably to the highest level of his whole life. And this beautiful woman coming on to him, and he said, I ain't going to stay here and keep saying no and fight this. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to flee. Sometimes that's the best way to fight a temptation is to get away from it. Amen. So if anything comes along to, to threaten your so great salvation, run from it. Run from it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these good people. Thank you, Lord, for them coming out on a Sunday night. And thank you, God, for just blessing us around the altar here. And, Father, we just ask you as we depart now and go into our, our duties throughout the week and services, uh, Lord, that we do for people and for our employer and, and whatever, Lord, to our family, just help us to be always mindful of you. Always mindful of you, Lord. We're your ambassadors. We ought to be having constant communion with you all through the day, conversations with you all through the day. That's how we stay strong. Help us do it, Lord. Help us do it. Remind us, Lord. Remind us. Remind us all through the day. You need me. You need me. Please, Lord, say to Pharaoh all through the day, Pharaoh, you need me. You need me. Don't forget you need me. Remind me, Lord. Remind me. Remind me. I want to get as close to you as I can. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love y'all. Thank y'all so much for coming. Yes, sir. The Pine Level Pentecostal Winners Church Incorporated, copyright 2023.